Okay, you can be seated, everybody. If you would, grab your Bibles, and let's go in the New Testament to 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1, 2 Timothy chapter 1. You know, throughout this whole COVID-19 thing that the um, world has been experiencing, that our church has been experiencing, I, I want to testify to the fact today that Pastor Ann and I have never, never had even one twinge of fear about catching COVID, about having COVID, about anything at all COVID-related. And I, I don't think that you need to be afraid either. And I want to tell you why this morning, because I've got some really really good news for you. Number one, and that is that fear is not from God. Heaven doesn't have any fear to give. Jesus doesn't have any fear to give. Over in 2 Timothy 1.7, it says, for God has not given us the spirit of fear, but rather a power and of love and of a sound, sound mind. Now, having grown up as a teenager, a fear-filled life. I know what it's like to be tormented by fear. You know, fear is a devilish, demonic, destructive, diabolical, spiritual force that comes to rob us of courage and confidence. You know, it's amazing. Yesterday morning, I just went through the concordance and 50 times, 50, matter of fact, I quit counting at 50, 50 times, God himself said to individuals, beginning with Abraham in the New Testament, all the way through Peter and Paul and Zacharias and, and Mary, over and over, he said, fear not, fear not, fear not. Do not fear nor be dismayed. Over and over and over again, he said, do not fear. Why? Because fear brings us to a place where that we simply lose courage and confidence in order to act in faith where fear is concerned. Over in 1 John 4.18 in the Amplified Classic, it says that there is no fear, no fear in love. Dread does not exist, but full-grown, complete, perfect love turns fear out of doors. The King James Version says that perfect love casts out fear. I'm not talking about my love for him. I'm talking about God's love for me is the antidote, is the cure for fear. Notice he said that perfect love turns fear out of doors and it expels every trace of terror. Fear brings with it the thought of punishment. And so he who is afraid has not reached the full maturity of love is not yet grown into love's complete perfection. Now, I, I believe that the word torment there is an accurate word describing not only the process of being fearful, but then the effect that fear has on our lives. And so I think the key thing that I want you to understand is the fact that fear brings torment with it. And like I say, as a teenager, I don't know how, maybe I watched too many mummy movies or whatever, but I, I had this ghastly fear of dead people. We, we lived on Holston Avenue for a while, and uh, when I would walk down Rome Street and where the old Appalachian funeral home would be, I'd walk all the way around the block the long way. I don't know why. I just, uh, just had this uh, creepy thing about funeral homes and, and that kind of a thing. I said, I want you to see that 
that one, one of the sweetest victories that you'll ever experience in all your life is when you can be free from fear. Free from fear. So I, I want to give you some pointers this morning in our few minutes remaining that I, I think will really help you deal with the issue of fear. Whatever, whatever uh, fashion it comes, whatever manifestation it is, because there's a lot of phobias out there uh, that, that torment people, that bind people, that put people in bondage. So number one, and that's this, don't, don't feed on things that you see or hear that give rise to fear. You know, I mean, why, why, why just suck on the television all the time and just continue to be fear-filled? Turn it off. Whatever it is that, that is that brings fear to rise on the inside of you, then you need to guard your heart and guard your mind in that area. It's really simple because we're gonna find that, that fear comes in, fear in is fear out. That you, you can't put fear in and then be faith-filled. It's either faith in, faith out, or fear in, fear out. And so I want you to see that I think that we need to, to guard our hearts and minds against those things, that I could say, that give rise to fear. And so there are things I just don't watch. And there are things I don't listen to. And I, I, I have learned, according to Proverbs chapter 4, to guard my heart with all diligence. Because out of my heart come the forces, the issues of life. That's number one. Number two, and that's this, that when fear-filled thoughts come to you, answer back. Maybe what I mean by that. You know, there are times that I'll have this fear-filled thought come to me about my, my children or my, uh, one of my eight grandchildren and, and that, that fear, and it's just in my thought life, in your soulish life. See, we, we have an emotional response to fear. And so we, we have to make a choice. I'm either going to react in fear or I'm going to act in faith. And there is a world of difference concerning the outcome that you experience in life. So it's incumbent upon us to learn to deal with fear. So when, when those lies come to me, then I answer back out loud. I say, that's a lie. Satan, I bind you. That is a lie. And not only that, but I'm going to uh, tell you that that will never, ever happen to me or my family. And I answer that way. I answer, I don't let, I don't give, I don't entertain thoughts of fear. One of the things that I have found is that you can take the Bible, the word of God, and that you can fill your mind with faith-filled thoughts. Amen. That I, I can control what I think about. That's what over in Philippians chapter four, it says, think on these things. And it gives a whole list of things that you ought to think on. And so rather than dwell on things that give rise to worry and angst and anxiety, I begin to ponder and meditate on the promises of God, the promises of God. Now, now think about this. I have a choice. I can either react in fear because that's what Satan does. He goads you. Remember the David and Goliath story? Remember Goliath was a giant, came out every day for day in and day out, twice a day, and threatened the armies of Israel? 1 Samuel chapter 17 says that Saul and all the armies of Israel were dismayed and full of fear. They were virtually, functionally paralyzed. 
And that's what fear is designed to do, to bring you to a place where that you cannot spiritually function to ward off and to keep off and away from you those fearful thoughts and fearful images. So I have a choice. I have learned that I don't have to act on fear. See, I have a choice. So do you. That when fear comes, then I'm going to answer it back using the promises of God. How about over in Proverbs? I'm going to give you this one. Proverbs, it says that, I'm, I'm sorry, over in the book of Hebrews, it says this. I'm, I'm sorry, Psalms 91. It says in verse 10, that there shall no evil befall you, neither shall any plague come near your dwelling. Now think about that. This is a promise from God. That he said again, there shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come near thy dwelling, for he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. So what I want you to see is the fact that I have a choice that I can either anchor my faith, establish my life, build my life on the promises of God, or I can just continually react when fear comes and presents itself to me. Now, remember, this is a promise from God. So what is a promise? What is a promise? A promise is a revelation. Every promise that God gives is a revelation of God's willingness to perform or forbear a specific act on your behalf. So every promise then is a revelation of the will and the intent of God. And here is his promise book right here. All these promises belong to each of us. Matter of fact, it is as if that, that God wrote the Bible just for me. Because I, am, I have claimed bunches of promises in the Bible. Somebody once asked me, are you part of that name it, claim it bunch? And I said, absolutely. I'm going to name the promise and then I'm going to claim the promise as my own. That's why every time we travel, every time we go anywhere, we pray Psalms chapter 91 and we claim God's covenant of protection for us and our family. When our children started driving, man, did we learn to pray. I'm going to tell you, you had to. And so we have learned over time that we take the promises of God and that we begin to receive them as the will of God for our lives. So I'm gonna name that promise and then I'm gonna claim that promise for myself. The Passion Translation of Psalms 91, 9 and 10 says that when we live our lives within the shadow of God's most high, our secret hiding place, we will always be shielded from harm. That is a place of trust and faith in Him. How then could evil prevail against us or disease infect us? Now, that, that just seems that your mind just wants to go tilt. Until you begin to think about and ponder and read and study and meditate on all of these promises that God has made, and then I, you begin to incorporate them as part of your lifestyle, your lifestyle. And so what do we do? We take the promises of God, we claim them as our own. And this is just, just go page after page after page of promises that God has made to us. But particularly in the area where uh, we have God's promise of protection, it is so vital for us that we understand 
what is available to us as part of our salvation package. You know, if you went to work for a big corporation, they would give you a, an employee manual or employee handbook. And in that handbook are all the benefits that are yours by virtue of your employment there at that particular company. Well, this is God, the manufacturer's handbook on how to live your life successfully. Amen. Successfully. So what I do, I read it and then I disobey. I just do what it says. Even if my mind hasn't quite called up to, to everything, I simply act on what I know to be the truth of the word of God. So here's my question. If you did not know that Psalms 91 was God's covenant of protection to you. If you didn't know it, nobody ever told you, nobody ever taught you. Uh, see, I believe one of the main purposes of the local church is to teach believers how to live, how to live successfully. And, and, and that, that how-to is not automatic. You have to be taught, you have to be trained. This is how you conduct your life in this situation and that situation and the other situation. So what, what would happen if you did not know about Psalms 91? Well, then you would forfeit God's covenant of protection for you and your family. What, what would happen, let's say, if, if you did not know uh, that we have a generous benefactor, then all of, the, all of the benefits that he brings to us, we would forfeit. And that's why Hosea prophesied in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, Hosea 4, 6. He says, my people, this is Hosea prophesying, my people are destroyed for their lack of knowledge. Isaiah prophesied almost the same thing in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 13, when he said, my people are gone into captivity, into bondage because of their lack, their lack of knowledge. So the fact is that what you don't know it's killing you. What you don't know is bringing you into bondage. So I, I've got some really good news today that Jesus is the ultimate benefactor of the people of God. Listen, listen to this verse. John chapter one, verse 16 to 17. I'm gonna read it from the Amplified Classic. It says, for out of his fullness, out of his abundance, we have all received, we all had a share we were all supplied with one grace after another and spiritual blessing upon spiritual blessing and every favor upon favor and gift heaped upon gift. Now think about what he's saying. He says that all of us have received, all had a share, that we were all supplied. That means that there are no exemptions if you are a Christian, if you're a believer, if you've put your eternal trust and confidence in God's saving grace, then he says that this is what belongs to you. Grace upon grace, spiritual blessing upon spiritual blessing, favor upon favor, and gift upon gift. Then the next verse says, for while the law was given through Moses, grace, that is God's unmerited, unearned, and I added undeserved, unmerited favor, and spiritual blessings and truth came through Jesus Christ. So all those benefits became mine when I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior and my Lord. But did you know that I went decades as a Christian that I had no idea what benefits were mine until I began to read the Bible and I began to read good books and listen to good CDs or good tapes. And that's how I grew. I graduated from Cassette Tape University. 
made to come loudly. I mean, I, I, back then, I, I, we had tape players in there, and I just kept tapes playing. And that's how I grew. I read good books. And back then, I couldn't read the Bible and get a lot out of it by myself. So I would get a good book, and I'd set it down, put my Bible beside it. And what that person wrote in that book, his revelation soon became my revelation. So think about it that we can grow in the grace of God. So he says here that these are some points that we need to ponder. All Christians were included in this grace. None were left out. Remember, he says, all have received, all had a share, all were supplied. That means that there's not a single believer in this room that you are exempt, that you're a special exception from the blessing and the grace of God. Not at all. Then he goes on to say that all these things we have received because we have made Jesus Christ our Savior and our Lord. Now, I want to say this about, and I want to close with this, that becoming a Christian is not by osmosis, nor by proximity. See, there are a lot of people, matter of fact, I even asked a guy one time at Liberty Bell, I said, are you a Christian? He said, yes, I may need to, he told me what denomination he belonged to. And I said, I didn't ask about your denominational affiliation. I said, are you a believer? And, and he never did get it. He said, well, my mom and dad, they're, they're both whatever this was that he said. And you don't become a Christian because your mom and dad or grandmother or grandfather are believers. It is an individual choice that every single person makes. Matter it is the most important choice you will ever make in all your life. Not what person to marry, not what vocational track to choose, uh, not what house to buy, not what, what, none of those things matter. Your eternal destiny rests on this one verse, and that is over in John chapter 1, verse 14, in which John writes, but as many, as many, as received him, meaning Jesus is Lord, to them gave he power to become. See, think about that. When I received Jesus instantly on the inside, God took out, he performed a supernatural surgery on me, took out that stony heart of flesh and put in his very own life, that Zoe, Z-O-E, life of God, that he, it's translated eternal life or everlasting life. And so, but as many as received him to them and them only gave he power to become the sons of God. And because we live in the Bible Belt, there's just a lot of people that think that they are Christians simply because they go to church. Now, I heard Billy Graham say that they estimated their organization, 50% of church-going Americans aren't Christians. They're moral people. They go to church, but they have never received, invited Jesus Christ into their heart, and they have never become, become the sons and daughters of God. That's why over in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, it says that if thou shalt confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead just for your sins. See, he died in your place. The reason water baptism is so powerful is because his death became my death. His resurrection became my resurrection. When he died on the cross, I died with him. So he died my death, bore my sins in his own body, and therefore forgave me of all of my sins and offered me now a new life in Christ. See, the cross in itself is not enough. There has to be a faith response from every individual to what that cross represents.